You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our current sponsors, uh, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. As you well know, if you've been following This Is Oklahoma, they've been a huge part of this podcast. So this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode we are in oklahoma city today um to talk i guess a little bit of leadership success motivation teaching um you will learn some things today for sure i've learned some things today because i took a class this morning with uh with my podcast guest and it went really well um but mike crannell's on the podcast of sandler training um to, well we're not just going to talk about training because there's a lot more to my guest than just teaching and, and, and training. But um, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Um, going through your bio, I'll let you explain it, but um, there's a lot of stuff in here and I, we're probably not going to get to everything, but there's definitely going to be some key points that the, get, the, uh, the audience is going to learn from us today. Um, so when people say to you, you know, who are you, what do you do, what do you usually respond with? Yeah, and Mike, uh, thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm a big fan of your work and all the things that you do and hearing a little bit about your story about how you started this and what you've turned it into is just outstanding. And as someone who works with lots of entrepreneurs, I love that. So, uh, but your question was, how do I answer? And I always have to share that whenever possible, I try and quantify that or qualify that to the specific person. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but if I'm visiting with somebody in general, and they say, hey, Mike, what do you do? Uh, My answer is usually along the lines of we help visionary business leaders get to the next level, which sounds a little bit cliche, but most people in business, and we primarily focus on people that are in leadership, ownership, management, or sales, most people in those spectrums want something more, uh, whether that's more business, more locations, more employees, more dollars, whatever it is. So that's what we do is we focus on that and we help them get to that next level. Mm -hmm. Uh, How long have you been in Oklahoma? Yeah, so great question. So I started my journey here in Oklahoma. I landed here in 2003. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's that 18, 19 years almost now. And coming here, was it a reason for work or was it, I mean, what, what brings you to Oklahoma and where did you come from? Yeah, so I moved here from Minnesota, and like lots of people I know, uh, we moved for a significant other. So mm-hmm. uh, my fiance at the time had the opportunity to be here, and now my wife of coming up on 20 years. Um, and so that's how we ended up here. And uh, yeah. Yeah. What, uh, coming to Oklahoma back then, what, what was Oklahoma like? And, and kind of coming from Minnesota as well, was it like, why are we going to Oklahoma? Or was it more of, hey, we're heading further south and we actually get a summer? Yeah, well, so a great question. There's a lot of variables to that dynamic, mm-hmm. but um, I knew a little bit of what I was getting into because uh, we'd visited a few times before, obviously, we moved. But uh, for me, it was interesting. In 2003, uh, you know, Bricktown really had very little going on compared to what it is today. Uh, I remember when I first moved here the first couple of years, the airport here in Oklahoma City was a dump. Uh, the airport it is now is so much nicer, and especially the most recent addition that just opened up a couple months ago, but it was a little bit of a shock to me, Uh, you know, moving here from Minnesota and I lived in the Twin Cities, which at that point in time was about three and a half million people and Mm -hmm. there was, I don't know, one million or maybe 1.1 million here in Oklahoma City, so it was a big difference, but it's also way more spread out. Um, You know, Oklahoma City is a big city landmass wise, so uh, one of the things that always resonated with me, I'd probably been here about a week or two and we live in Edmond, we've lived in Edmond ever since we moved here, I'm driving on Lake Half Parkway headed, or I'm sorry, on Broadway Extension headed towards downtown. And I'm listening to the morning radio and they're talking about the need for a light rail system to alleviate traffic congestion. 
And I'm looking around as we're doing like 45 miles an hour in peak rush hour. Going, what traffic congestion? Because moving here from Minneapolis at 8 o'clock in the morning on a weekday, you'd be at a standstill on the freeway. Right. And so different perspectives and you know lots of things like traffic congestion are subjective. Yeah, 100%. Because... I mean, people who've moved here from Austin, Dallas, Houston will say the same thing, right? Like, we don't have traffic here, <laughs> although it is my worst time of day. And I, I, I love the fact that I have a profession that, that I don't have to work nine to five, because when I catch myself driving home between five and six, I'm so mad. I'm just like, <laughs> why, why, it's worth staying an extra hour, right? Wherever you are, just to get some work done or whatever it is to not be on the highway with everybody else. But you're right, it's not traffic like like other places. And we're very fortunate, I think, to have good you know, road systems and networks that, and the ring, I guess, around the city of highways and the turnpike that make it very easy to travel around the state. But... Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned coming here, your wife gets a job or insignificant other fiance at the time gets a job to bring you to Oklahoma. Um, what are you in at that time? Yeah, so at that point in time, I worked for a company called DeWalt Power Tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with it because maybe they have a cordless drill or something else. And so I was in charge of running kind of the central part of the country for one of our divisions. So <clears throat> it was fairly easy to move here because I traveled all the time. Yeah. And we moved here. I was gone on the road around the country most weeks, four or five days. Mm-hmm. So we lived here for several years before I ever spent much more than weekends here because uh, you know, I joke the people that I probably saw the most in town were the gate agents, the flight attendants, and the pilots. Yeah, which is, I mean, if you like traveling, it's a good job to be in, right? And it's not, you know, and it's, I'm sure it wasn't easy being away from your fiance and then future family as well, but um, being so centrally located, that might have helped you a little bit. Uh, I definitely know who DeWalt are because my dad is an engineer and, a, and works in that kind of stuff. And I handed him many tools when I was a kid. Uh, didn't do any work because I was useless <laughs> at it, but I definitely handed him enough tools and learned quickly what tools were named what and, and didn't hand him the wrong stuff. Uh, before you get to DeWalt, though, growing up in Minnesota, like what, what's it like growing up there and, and, and like high school and schooling and kind of an interest uh, you know, that gets you working you know, and stuff like that? Yeah, so well, I didn't grow up all of my life in Minnesota. So my dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. He was in the Air Force. And uh, about when I was eight, my parents got divorced and my mom married a different guy in the Air mm-hmm. Force. So I actually moved around a substantial amount. Yeah. Um, so we lived overseas for a little while. I don't remember hardly any of it because uh, I was very small from two till about five. We lived in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was stationed at a base there. And uh, my parents like to say I visited every country in Europe and the Middle East that was safe to visit then. But <laughs> don't remember a ton of it because yeah. you know, we moved On back. On base is very safe. Yeah. Well, but we, we, we traveled all over because there were lots of safe places then. Yeah. And uh, my parents have these unbelievable boxes of slides because that was in the early 70s when people, you know, obviously digital cameras and smartphones yeah, yeah. didn't exist, but slides were the big thing to take. So slides of me and Turkey and Germany and all these other places that I barely remember because I was three and four years old. But uh, I bounced around an awful lot. And so Minnesota is what I call quote unquote home uh, because my mom still lives there. My dad and his wife still lives there. My sister and her family live there. But um, because I lived a lot of different places, uh, you know, I went and did lots of different things. So I finished high school in Nebraska, mm-hmm. uh, went to the University of Nebraska, and uh, that was in the early 90s, late 80s. Um, so you know, I've got a lot of different places where I've got some type of connection. Right. Um, so the one thing, and I get asked this all the time, how was that? Because actually the high school I graduated from was the 10th different school I went to. Mm. And so I think it really and sounds a little bit weird to some people, equipped me for the role that I have now. Yeah. Um, you know, helping people think about things differently, look at them differently, you know, figure out how do I navigate different communication and conversations. And uh, had I not moved around so much and been forced to learn and grow and adapt, right. I don't know that I'd be equipped to do what I do now. Yeah, it's kind of a blessing in disguise, isn't it? 
by you know on learning on your feet and and at the time you were just like oh this is just a new school i gotta go make friends again but it's something you'd been trained yourself to do and done so many other times and people all over the world really i guess you've met and you know you, you learn how to connect and read people and that's a really important skill to have and something to, that came to you naturally because of the circumstances that you had grown up in not because it was you know an innate like someone needs to you know someone's telling you hey we're going to move and you're going to have to learn this you just it just happened right uh so from all that stuff then and you know you go to university in nebraska are you when when you get to university do you know hey this is kind of my profession this is probably what i want to do do you think about going into the military as well because of family upbringing like what is that kind of time you know late 80s early 90s like yeah so really good question and my stepfather at the time was an Air Force recruiter. Mm -hmm. And so we had a strong, long conversation about military service. And uh, I felt a little bit of obligation, but he said, hey, the only way that I would encourage you to go in is if you're on some type of scholarship or you can get into a military academy. Uh, my grades were nowhere near enough to get me into a military academy. Um, and I explored the ROTC, you know, college scholarship thing. It really wasn't for me. Uh, so when I went to the University of Nebraska, I, I was one of those weird kids that knew exactly what I wanted to be. I declared a major right out of high school when I enrolled, and I got about one week into college and realized I was wrong. Um, it's a funny story now, yeah. but uh, I grew up a good chunk of my life. I wanted to be an architect, and uh, I, I love to share the story. It's a little bit funny. I had this picture in my mind of an architect like Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch. And then I got into architecture school and I was like a weekend and I realized that what I thought an architect did and what an architect did were not the same. Yeah. And so I bounced around, checked out lots of different things. I actually ended up getting my degree and it sounds weird to say to some people out loud in criminal justice. Mm -hmm. I never used it for anything, but I put myself through college working in a food service distribution facility and started out in the warehouse and then ended up driving truck. And when I went to get out of college, all my job offers were in transportation, warehousing, logistics, because I'd worked in that for several years already. Yeah. So then that's what leads you to work with DeWalt because of the experience there? Yeah. So a little bit indirectly. So I never thought about being in sales. Um, when I worked in the distribution center, like I said, I started out in the warehouse and mm -hmm. I ended up driving a truck. And so I started out, my first job out of college was I was a transportation operations manager for a company that really doesn't exist anymore called Montgomery Wards, mm -hmm. big retail uh, you know stores that have all gone away. And so I was there and then I ended up at a company that we distributed food to McDonald's restaurants, and mm -hmm. that's where I ended up in sales. And yeah. so I started out as a transportation manager overseeing truck drivers, and they needed someone to go sell some stuff. That ended up there. And then I was recruited by DeWalt and had a couple of different stops selling things into the construction space before I started the business that we run now. Yeah. Uh, doing a degree in criminal justice, I have many friends that did or have done degrees in that or, you know, like crime scene investigation. Or, or, or anything that comes around that general criminology degree, none of them that I know use it either. So you're not alone for sure. Uh, but I'm sure there are things that you've learned from that degree that you use every day without probably indirectly knowing that you use it, right? Like how to profile people and how to learn things. And that must have been super usable and interesting at the time as well. Yeah, so when I graduated from college, my major was criminal justice, but I had minors in sociology and psychology, mm -hmm. which working with business leaders, owners, managers, and salespeople, those things come in really handy. Yeah. Uh, because so much of what we do in my world here as a Sandler coach is work on the subconscious psychology of communication and human dynamics and interaction. Yeah, no doubt. So someone from Sandler meets you at, while you're at DeWalt and re reaches out and says, hey, we have an opportunity. Like, how, how does that go? You know, how does that connection bring you from working at DeWalt and, and you know, traveling around and, and growing, the you know, climbing the corporate ladder at DeWalt to, you know what, you should start your own business. And, and here's this opportunity to, to build a, a Sandler facility in Oklahoma City. 
Yeah. Well, there were a couple stops in the middle. So, you know, DeWalt being a large publicly traded company in the mid 2000s, like lots of organizations started to have some challenges and, you know, stock options and quarterly reports and things like that. And I fell victim to, you know, one of many restructurings that happen in big publicly traded companies when they have a bad quarter. And so I ended up at a couple of different spots in that space, still selling into the construction space. Mm -hmm. And it was August of 2009. And at that point in time, I worked for a company that sold some building materials. And I was literally driving down the road and my cell phone rang. It's a really good friend of mine. And we had some small talk and caught up. And he said, hey, I've actually got a serious question for you. And I said, what's that? He goes, what do you know about an organization called Sandler Training? And I got real quiet and I said, why? I said, I might have heard of it. I don't know anything. And I said, why? And he goes, well, I thought maybe you'd know, you know, in your corporate career with DeWalt and other places, you've been through tons of training and worked with tons of coaches and you guys have brought in tons of different consultants. And I thought maybe you'd heard of them. And I said, no, I said, I, you know, I might have heard them, but I don't own a thing. And I was always born and always have a high natural curiosity. And so uh, I said, well, so tell me what your organization's doing with them. And he said, oh, our, our company just signed an agreement to work with the, you know, the Sandler team here locally. And, and we're going to start off with some strategic planning. Then we're going to do some leadership development. We're going to do some management development. I'm in a sales management program. He was a VP of sales at the time. He goes, my sales team and I are in a sales program. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. He said, yeah, we're starting with a 36-month agreement. And I went, a what? <laughs> because coming out of the corporate world that I was in, right. we did training all the time, but it was always a couple hours or maybe a couple of days. Yeah. So when I heard leadership management sales development in 36 months, yeah. I was blown away. And so that night in my hotel, as my natural curiosity kicked in, I Googled it and started reading and was just blown away about what Sandler is and mm -hmm. the dynamics of what we help people with and how we don't just help people learn new skills. We really go deeper than that into what are the behaviors and the habits that we have? And do we even have conscious awareness of the things we should or should not do? Mm -hmm. So then Sandler, for people listening, provides training, corporate training to individuals or, or businesses that can sign up for longer periods of time. And then their employees can come to training sessions and beyond programs that range from Foundation One, which I was in today, all the way up to Presidential. Was that the last one? Yeah, so a lot of what we do, and, and Mike, I always appreciate the question, is that you know our world really is three things that we provide for people, coaching, consulting, and training, primarily in the functional areas of leadership, management, and sales. And mm -hmm. I always say it this way, people really engage our services one of three ways. One, uh, a lot of our clients will call it transformational, and that mm -hmm. means that we're going to work together over time. Um, it still blows my mind to say this out loud, but I've been open for 12 years now, and I've got people that have been working with us for 12 years. Because yeah. uh, if you truly want to be better at something, much like your passion for golf, I can't just go to one-day workshop and be fixed. Right. Um, so way number one is that transformation, and, and that means we're working together over time to really focus on your objectives, leadership, management, sales, revenue, mm -hmm. better team, culture, whatever it might be. The second way is a little bit more what we call transactionally. That might be people that just come to workshops or boot camps or maybe bring us in for a private day, and, and that's a part of our business, and there's people that do that. And the, the third way is that people, and this is fairly new because of the way technology works, is informationally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've got our own podcast, uh, we've got a mobile app, we've got all sorts of different, you know, low cost or some even free resources, white papers. We've got about 50 five zero business books that we put out on various topics. You know, they're 20 to $40. We've got all sorts of e-courses that could be anywhere from a hundred to a couple thousand dollars. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the informational side where people might just use us as a resource for information, maybe free or low cost yeah. or, you know, minimal investment. But the theme is always helping people get to that next level and primarily in leadership, management, sales. And a lot of that's entrepreneurs. Um, you know, number one thing every business needs to be successful is revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, I might be able to start it with somebody else's money, but eventually they're going to want it back. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, but it's interesting because our clients range from, you know, individual solopreneurs and brand new startups to companies with thousands of employees that have been around for more than a hundred years and everything in between. Yeah. Right. Cause then I mean, from that, like you, 
you, you can uh, you can relate to everybody, right? You can, like you just mentioned, you can relate to the CEO of a hundred-year-old company that has a thousand employees that's done things. I mean, hopefully, hasn't done things always the same way or transitioning to doing things newer, going through modern times. And then you can relate to the entrepreneur who's working on their side business because they're working their nine to five to keep things going and then working five to nine or you know seven to two in the morning on on working on their their side hustle as you call it and and separate business but that you know back to just growing up and like like you mentioned meeting people right and changing and 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 changing school so many times and, and just kind of all that you get to relate to so many people but build that relationship sooner with people as well because there's nothing harder i think than than trying than being in sales right and trying to build a transaction and build a relationship with someone if you know first of all it's a cold call or you're knocking on someone's door or someone's just walked into your store curiosity or whatever it is you know to have that skill regardless if you're selling a product i mean you know, I think we're all in the sales role, right? It doesn't matter if you're actually, your job is sales. We're all generally selling something, whether it's, you know, going out dating or going out trying to meet, you know, significant other, right? You effectively, you, you can use plenty of sales techniques to, to further the, you know, further the relationship, right? Ah. Um, you know, or even just meeting people and, and whatever it is. Like it's people, I think, kind of brush past the fact that, the skills that you can use that salespeople teach and, and techniques and stuff relate to everyday lives a lot more than we realize. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, there's a phrase that we use in our world here at Sandler when we work with business owners and leaders and entrepreneurs is that sales equals communication, communication equals sales. And in pretty much any interaction between two or more people, somebody's buying, somebody's selling. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a product or a service. It could just be an idea or, you know, it could be two friends talking about where to go to dinner and one of them wants Italian, one of them wants Mexican. And unless mm-hmm. they go to a buffet that has both, only one of you is getting what you want. Right. And it's an interesting dynamic because in our society, sales has such a negative connotation mm-hmm. around it. And, you know, TV and movies stereotype it, you know, about, you know, sleazy, cheesy, used car salesperson. Yeah. But that's not what most sales really is. It's it's the stereotype of it. But mm-hmm. um, because that still does exist out there, it's amazing how much people try to get away from it. And yeah. I always use this story. If you think about it, in the last roughly 20 years uh, in our society, we've come up with hundreds of hundreds of job titles to take sales out of sales. Right. People say, oh, I'm not in sales. I'm an audience development manager. I'm in business development. I'm in resource right. development. I, I'm in customer acquisition. And, you know, it's still sales. Yeah. But we somehow feel better about it when we call it something different. So... I totally agree with you. And the, one of the funny things, I think, that just people coming from non-U.S. businesses or whatever, there's a VP of everything you know, in the States as well. Like if you look at somebody's business card, they're a VP of something. Uh, to that point, not might not be sales, but it's going to be a lot of other things that sure. they've, you know, like I said, come up with. But um, so 2009, this kind of Sandler opportunity presents itself, your curiosity peaks. Um, what's kind of like, you know, family life at that time? You have kids at that time, your wife's business, you know, I mean, kind of, because I know, I, I guess you mentioned earlier from, from the meeting that we had or from the, the conference part that I was involved in, she, she's an entrepreneur as well, right? So where does that kind of come from at that time? Of, you know, where are you at that time? Yeah, so in 2009, so <clears throat> when my wife and I got married, so she had kids from a prior relationship. I did not. Mm-hmm. So I uh, married, uh, you know, one of the best things ever, a, a family that came together. And so in 2009, uh, our son and daughter and my wife and I, we sat down, we decided to do this business. At that point in time, my wife was still working for a large corporate organization. And although on paper she owned part of this business, she really Really wasn't active in it mm-hmm. and really, you know, didn't want to be active in it. You know, that risk taking to be an entrepreneur was not something that was obvious and on the surface. Yeah. Her. And so uh, our, our kids were a little bit older, but still at home. And uh, our daughter actually would have already been off at college. Our son would have been in high school. And, um, you know, so everybody was supportive you know, great step in the journey. And, uh, you know, when you start a business from scratch, regardless of what type of business is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you know, 
you know, the, the, the phrase build it and they will come doesn't exist unless maybe you're an Apple right. store or maybe a Starbucks. Uh, but and when you start a coaching, consulting, training business from scratch, it's not like there's people waiting yeah. outside to go, oh my goodness, thank goodness you're here. Here's my credit card. <laughs> and so for me, you know, the first couple of years were really hard, but I was fortunate to have amazing family support. And, you know, one of the things that we tell somebody when they start a Sandler business is that you need to become a product of the product. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a cliche that gets used a lot, but you know the reason that people gravitate to what we do and you know they engage our services is that they want something in their business that they don't have. They want more comfort in front of the board meeting. They want mm-hmm. more, you know, confidence in front of a prospect or on stage or whatever their business is. And one of the things that has happened in the last twelve years of running this business is that you know I hear almost every week that you know, from a client, hey, I signed up because of this business reason, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. But my biggest takeaway is this, and it's something in the personal life. And it sounds a a little bit weird, and it sounds almost like a little bit of a marketing line, but I have clients tell me all the time, you know, Sandler changed my life. And, um, you know, when I heard that the first time, I thought it was a marketing line, but, you know, I have people that come to me and so much of what we do is about psychology and human dynamics that, you know, it impacts your relationship with your spouse, your siblings, your parents, your mm-hmm. kids, your, you know, your friends. And a lot of it's even helping you think about what do you want in your mm-hmm. life? And so often we chase things that other people want for us. Um, far easier to, you know, say than it is to unravel. But, um, you know, it's been interesting doing this for the last 12 years and watching what it's turned into. Right. Uh, there's so much that you, what you just mentioned that we can break down and, and talk about. The first thing that I want to touch on is, you're right, like people aren't waiting. You know, when you open a Sandler business or any training business, people aren't, or consulting, whatever it is, people aren't at the door waiting saying, you know, thank God you opened up, here's my money, right? Because... People don't. I think the last thing people want to spend money on is is investing in themselves, right? And and you know, plenty of analogies out there to get better. You hire a coach. Personal development's like the last one on the list. Why do you think that is? You know, I think it, there's a couple of different factors there. I think that you know, so often, and, and I'm speaking a little bit more from U.S. culture, so I can't mm-hmm. say this is global, but you know, so often. We have been raised that I go to school, which unless you go to private school is free. Mm-hmm. So that learning and development is given to you. And and then, you know, we're kind of told to go to college and not everybody, but a lot of people end up having somebody else help them with college. Maybe they're on scholarship, maybe they're getting yeah. grants, maybe mom and dad are helping with it. And then we get out of the working or out of the educational world, we go to work and a lot of companies, especially if you go to work for bigger companies, they'll send you to training and all this other stuff. So people struggle a lot of times to wrap their heads around investing in themselves. Mm-hmm. We do it in hobbies all the time. As someone who's super passionate about golf, it's amazing how somebody will you know, throw down thousands of dollars to get golf lessons. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, hey, why don't you go to a sales you know, development workshop? Oh, I'm good. I'll just read a book. Uh, you know, I can buy a $20 book on Amazon and I'll be all fixed. And, and it's just not the way that it is. And yeah. I think that the way that a lot of times people are raised creates a challenge with valuing that. Mm-hmm. And when you get into specifically the roles of leadership, management, and sales, because it's so intangible, there's no formal, structured, official degree certification program around it, and there's no required continuing education, there's no licensing, Mm -hmm. people don't see value in it. An analogy that we use all the time to talk about is if you think about a lot of the most respected professions architects, engineers, accountants, etc. They're all degreed, they're all licensed, they all have continuing education, even doctors. Mm-hmm. And you have so much continuing education that you're required to have. Your high achievers always go beyond the minimum. Right. But when you get into leadership management and sales, those aren't factors. And because they're not factors, people don't always value it. Right. I mean, that makes total sense. Uh, and it's something, I mean, I, I struggle with it too, right? Like uh, even in golf, like I hate paying for lessons, <laughs> hate it. Um, and I know that it's something that has definitely held me back over the years. And I had coaches growing up for sure, but it got to a certain point where I was like, 
I can do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think it was when I came to the States about 10 years ago that I was like, because I was on my own. Um, but at the, the same time, even though I didn't have like an in-person lesson, I would always send swing videos of swing, you know, videos to a coach of mine or, or a friend that I, you know, for sure, like even I might not have in directly paid for it. I was still indirectly kind of getting coaching. Um, but I was not, fully like I'm going to get a lesson every single week mm -hmm. and being on a training plan um, and I guess it's the same I think with fitness right like you know you, you it's it's you always work out harder and better when you have a fitness trainer with you holding you accountable and that's another thing too right it's just being held accountable and yeah I mean there's there's so many ways to talk about it and so many different businesses that you know entrepreneurs do and, and you know like I for me personally just thinking about what you said like I I didn't go to school to be a, to own a business. I'm kind of just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and learning it as you go. And I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of people who have the same experience as me. Um, so yeah, I think people definitely should invest more in in training and coaching or finding a mentor group or whatever it is, rather than looking for the quick fix, reading a twenty dollar book. Because for the most part, the twenty dollar books always say the same thing, mm -hmm. right? They just got a different title on them. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing, and you know, I, I gave a keynote talk at a conference a couple of years ago, talking about how we live in a shortcut society. Mm -hmm. You know, we are so accustomed to trying to look for a shortcut. Oh, I need to be better at leadership. There's got to be a podcast I can listen to, right. and nothing wrong with a leadership podcast. But unless I actually take the stuff and do something with it, mm -hmm. just listening to it doesn't change anything. Yeah. You know, whether it's sales or whatever, and you know, you touched about on, you know fitness and health and things like that, and you know the fitness industry is an easy example because you know there's always some latest fad or trend and it's amazing how many people run out and buy things mm -hmm. and uh, I saw something just this last week that you know Peloton the, the fancy really mm -hmm. expensive bikes their sales are down like 30% quarter over quarter from last year well it's because they got a I mean their timing couldn't have been better with COVID right. and now people are going to do other things they're going back to the gym they're going outside and riding mm -hmm. a real bike whatever and they don't know how to deal with it but yeah. we will jump at something when we think there's a magical quick fix. You know, you, know, you title a, you know, a book, you know, 10 magic phrases that'll close any sale and yeah. people go buy it and nobody gets anything out of it that's a magic thing. But it always takes me back to, and you know, I didn't study this until I got involved in Sandler, but if you study some of the most talked about influencers in motivation and leadership development. You know, all the way back to 100 years ago when Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich or, mm -hmm. you know, things written by Zig Ziglar and people along the way, you know, they all talk about the same thing. The single greatest investment you can make mm -hmm. is in yourself. You know, there's nothing else that can give you as great ROI. Right. You know, sure, I could go buy a, you know, rare gold coin and it might go up some, but it pales in comparison of what I could do if I invest in myself. Mm -hmm. and, and people struggle with that. And investment in self is not just money. Right. It's time and energy. And because we live in such a busy, hurried society, sometimes time is the greater variable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you may or may not know this, but one of the things we do every year is that we give a couple of scholarships to what we do. And uh, one of those we call a nonprofit scholarship. We give it to an Oklahoma nonprofit organization. And the value of that scholarship, if they were to write a check, is about $75,000 for the mm -hmm. year. And almost half of the people that apply Almost half of the people that apply, when we tell them the time commitment, there is no financial commitment on their part at all. But when we tell them the time commitment, they back out. Yeah. Even though there's no financial, like, oh, I could never do that much time. Like, you just shared with me all these challenges that you have. You have the opportunity to get a scholarship that would be worth $75,000, mm -hmm. but you can't rearrange your schedule to invest the time. Yeah. And it, it just kind of reiterates that point that we're in such a shortcut society. Isn't there a faster program you can put me in? <laughs> and to get better at something, I mean, right. you know, there's no one squinks. I mean, you, know, you yeah. were around golf most of your life and still are. You know, There's no one lesson I can take 30 minutes on that's going to take 20 strokes off my game. Right. Uh, at least not that I've found. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, even if there is the the, the kind of gold dust and the, the growth comes from the in-between of the lessons sure. and you putting in the work, right? Absolutely. You know, that's, that's kind of like you can do those lessons and you can take, someone can say, hey, here's everything you need in an hour. Go do it. 
it's the time you said back to the time it's that time that you have to invest to like you know it would be great if you, you sat down for an hour right and someone gave you you know like the limitless pill and said knock yourself out you're going to become a millionaire tomorrow you know by clicking these few buttons and having an online business or whatever but you know you're right like we're, we're kind of like in a you know instant gratification society now right where people want everything now tomorrow and you know you're you're an overnight million overnight success for 20 years in the making right all that kind of stuff uh the other thing from what you said though something that that kind of just came to me is that nowhere kind of in your upbringing in your past is teaching that's a skill that you must have had to develop and and you know to be giving keynote speak you know speaking and and just you know just this morning watching you up in front of everybody just kind of command the room and and even as far as like your hand gestures like this is something you've perfected and a skill that you've built on for 12 plus years now how was it in the beginning sure yeah so uh in it's always interesting if i go back to you know 2009 when i first started this business um you know most people probably wouldn't have bought anything from me because they would have gone well that guy can't teach me anything but one of the things that I really focus on, and I'm fortunate to be part of the Sandler Network. You know, mm-hmm. I own and operate the office here in Oklahoma, but we've got a couple hundred offices around the globe. And so our support network internally is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And so we get together on a regular basis and we watch recordings and we dissect how did that look? How did that go? How did that sound? Where were my hands? Yeah. We coach, we, build, we beat each other up, much like I always use the analogy of a football team. You know, most most games are played on Sunday in the NFL, Monday morning. Both teams are watching game film. Whether they won or they lost, mm-hmm. we do an awful lot of that. Listening to myself recorded, which, by the way, if you're in leadership management and sales and you've never listened to yourself recorded, it's horrifying the first time. Um, I remember one of the very first times I did that, I'm like, oh, my God, why has anybody ever bought from me? I'm horrible. Yeah. Um, but being vulnerable and mm-hmm. opening yourself up to feedback good and bad, and then acting on the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much like a sport, if I want to get better, I've got to do what I'm doing, get some feedback, and then say, how do I get better? Right. You know, whether it's an individual sport like golf or a team sport like football or whatever it is, the same thing's true in business. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that we put so much time into practicing things that are hobbies. Mm-hmm. But we put so little time into practicing our profession, Mm -hmm. specifically in the three areas of leadership, management, and sales. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm a doctor, I practiced the surgery. I did it in med school. (laughs) I did it in my residency. But if I'm in sales, you know, I get out of college or wherever, and I go to work, and they hand me a catalog and a price sheet, and they say, call if you've got questions. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say that partially tongue in cheek, but not too much off that. And, you know, same thing's true in leadership and management. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're really good with people. You should be the team manager. Congratulations, you're promoted. And then you get to the point where, okay, I got to do an employee review. How do I do that? I don't know. Yeah. And, and there's like no guidance. And in those areas of leadership, management, and sales, a lot of times we need more guidance, we yeah. need more structure, we need more support, but it's not given to us. Right. I was just an example. I, I did a workshop for a group of, or a client, I don't know, probably two years ago, and they have 12 managers. And one of the most important things that their managers do is recruit and hire. They're 12 different locations. And so they brought them together for a one-day workshop with us, and I had them go through. And think about how important people are in an organization. And I had everybody take out a blank sheet of paper and write down all the steps that they do individually. These are the 12 managers in their recruiting hiring process. And by the way, the organization's big enough. They've got an HR department, and you know the CEO's like, oh, yeah, we all follow the same process. We've got HR. And we took the 12 sheets of paper. And you would have never guessed they were in the same industry because their 12 processes were so different. But when we got to the operational side of what those 12 locations did, because we put structure and process in place for operations, operations were identical. But leadership, especially in management, recruiting and hiring, there was no system and process between location one, location two, location three. HR swore there was, but there wasn't. And that consistency, mm-hmm. and that's such a big thing about becoming better is that I've got to be consistent. Right. And follow the plan or build a plan. And it's amazing what systems can do to a business, right? Sure. It can be you know, the most complex business, but if you put a system in place and follow the steps, 
it makes it a lot easier because you know exactly what you've got to do for the most part at certain times of the business. Um, stepping away though from from the sandless stuff, when you're doing this for the last twelve years, there must have been businesses that people have come to you with, and you're like, you know, light bulb moment, your curiosity's peaked, and you think maybe I should start a business around that because it's you know you're you're around business owners and entrepreneurs for twelve years. Did you start any other side businesses at that time? Do you is this the only business you have, or have you stepped off and, and gone further into the entrepreneur kind of bucket and just thought, you know, I'm going to open up a few more businesses? Yeah, so it's a spectacular question, and uh, there, there's kind of two ways to answer that. A lot of the things that my wife and I have done wouldn't be just an obvious standalone business. We have some residential real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, the building that we're in is commercial real estate that we own. Half this building's executive office suite. So you know, there's a little bit of entrepreneurial slant to all of those. I started an organization called the Oklahoma Professional Sales Association, which is a membership organization for business owners, leaders, managers, sales professionals that want to get together. But really the only true standalone business, and my wife spends more of her time doing this, and maybe be a good podcast guest for you in the future is uh, that we started a school photography company called mm -hmm. Focused School Photography. And that was a background that she had, as I mentioned, when we started this business 12 years ago, she worked for another company. It was a big corporation in that space. Mm -hmm. And we just saw that we had the opportunity to do it better starting from scratch with a small entrepreneurial business. And yeah. so my wife spends most of her time running that business now. And it's been really interesting to see how she's taking things from this business where right. we provide guidance and leadership management, sales, coaching, consulting, training, and applied it to that business. And so some things that we've certainly got into, but mm -hmm. obvious standalone businesses that the rest of the world would see, just the school of photography business. Yeah, that's good for you to have though, right? Because when you can relate to other entrepreneurs and business owners sure. that, you know, that's one of the things that people, you know, they, they, they might hire a coach or they look at that, you know, one of the things that they should look at is like, has that coach built a business as well? Are they an operator or are they just a teacher and they haven't built a business, which is always a red flag, I think, from, from, from my perspective. It's like if someone's training me or coaching me to be a business owner and, you know, have they done it themselves and failed and become it? So that's cool to have that, that kind of like um, – you know that just that way of relate to to kind of like the clients and if you you know because you and then also you can provide and and apply all the lessons that you teach to your own business right mm -hmm. and there's always new training techniques and stuff like that tell me about though the association and kind of why you decided to you know to to launch that yeah so in some way, shape, or form, most of my career, I have been in something that tied to sales. Sales, sales management, sales leadership, executive sales leadership. And for way before I started Sandler, so you know, probably 20 years of my life, I've had mm -hmm. people just make comments like, why is sales the only profession that doesn't have an association? Uh, you know. You've got a realty license, yeah. there's the realty association. If you're uh, in marketing, there's the American Marketing Association. And you know, if you're in you know, any profession mm -hmm. you can find, there's an association. I mean, yeah. and, and I've spoken at a lot of their professions. I mean, you know, I just got a phone call the other day to speak at the American Gemological Society's right. event next year. So, but if you look at sales, which is really the backbone of business, if you yeah. think about it, you know, there's a phrase that's been around for longer than I've been alive. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. There is no sales association. Yeah. Uh, now, if you go Google, there's a Canadian sales association, which is basically just a training organization. But in the United States, there's really nothing. Yeah. And so uh, some other people and I kind of took a jump about seven years ago and started what is now known as the Oklahoma Professional Sales Association, maybe eight years ago. And it's been turned into an interesting thing. And you know, the primary thing that we do in that that the public would see is that every month uh, or 11 months a year, every month except for December, we have a luncheon. Okay. And at that luncheon, we always bring in a speaker. Most of the speakers are someone who's successfully built something. Mm -hmm. Could be a business, could be a nonprofit, could be something else that they share the story of how they've done it. Mm -hmm. How did you grow? How did you build? How did you start? How did you go from level one to level two to whatever? And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool event because yeah. visionary committed people learn very well when they hear the story of 
how somebody else did it. Yeah. You know, Mike, you made a comment earlier about most books are the same on the inside. And wholeheartedly agree. And one of the things that most books, they focus on what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you pick up a book on referrals and it tells you what to do, or you pick up a book on speaking in public and tells you what to do. But most of them really don't ever get into how mm-hmm. in the world do I do that? Yeah. And so the Oklahoma Professional Sales Association is really focused on how. How did they do it? How did they start? What are the steps they took? What are the things that they screwed up along the way? Right. What would they do differently if they could do it all over yeah. again? So uh, it's been fun to watch that grow and evolve. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, I mean, it's really cool to have that. And, and just, I guess, to narrow it down just to be in Oklahoma. I mean, like you said, there's, there really isn't one. So you could have gone American, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a task, sure. yeah. right? Um, but still, it's nice to have that and, and just kind of have that, that, you know, that input from successful business owners who have no doubt failed along the way. And those lessons are the key points that, that you know, attendees learn at the luncheons. And, you know, it's nothing... Nothing better to, as an entrepreneur than knowing that, hey, this person's, you know, they haven't hit every single point along the way to be where they are. They've they've failed. They might have failed faster than most, but they've given it a go. And, you know, it, it's amazing. Like, I love this country because of how optimistic everyone is and because of how entrepreneurial everybody is. Sure. Uh, whereas I don't, you don't get that back home. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I, I kind of really enjoy being here and, and that I, I don't work nine to five and I have my own business. Uh, it, it's just the passion and the amount of collective people that come together that are in the same boat and, and the, the you know, just variety of businesses that you can have out here. It's, I love it. Uh, I could talk about it forever. But wrapping up, what are the questions that you wish people would ask you more? So that's a really good question. And if I had to say, what do I wish people asked more? It's really focusing on themselves and how do they get better? Um, you know, interesting thing because of what we do, it's very common to hear from someone that's in leadership or management about how do I make my people better? Mm -hmm. But if you're the business owner, you need to make yourself better. (laughs) Because, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is that if you're the business owner and you make all your people better, but you don't get better, they will all leave you. (laughs) And because people want to work for a leader that's always staying ahead of them in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. That's subjective. Ahead means different things. But, you know, truly committed, visionary, passionate people want to work for people that challenge them. And if all I'm doing is trying to make my people better and not me better, I'm really shortchanging them and me, and I'm probably missing some opportunities. But mm-hmm. you know, so much of what I think people miss, and this would lead to questions they should ask, isn't how do I do this differently, but how do I think about it differently? You know, COVID in the last 18 months has really caused everybody to look at things differently. You know, it's interesting. I, I've given tons of keynote talks on this about how you know COVID really didn't cause a single problem in the business world. Yeah, COVID accelerated things that were already in the works. Mm-hmm. Work from home was already in the works. COVID just accelerated it by 15 years yeah. in 15 minutes. You know, all the challenges that are going on didn't start because of COVID. You know, technology and people using Zoom and GoToMeeting and, you know, Microsoft Teams and all these other things. It was already a trend to that. COVID just accelerated it all by 10 or 15 years. And what business owners and leaders and entrepreneurs really need to think about is how do I stay ahead of that? We are so resistant to change. You know, I believe the single most dangerous phrase in our society is, that's the way we've always done it. And I mean, everybody laughs or grins when we talk about that. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they run right out and they do it the exact same way they've always done. Yeah. One thing that happened with COVID is that we couldn't Mm -hmm. do it the exact same way. You know, you, you know, real estate and, you know, one of the things that you're into, I mean, there's lots of people that built their real estate business by going to networking events. Yeah. Well, guess what? Those all went away yeah. <laughs> for a while. Some of them have come back, especially here in Oklahoma. But, you know, if my entire business model was going to networking events, chamber luncheons, whatever, because that's where I met all my prospects and turned them into clients and that went away. I've got to find a way to adapt or I die. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and not physically die, but my business dies. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we've seen, especially over the last year and a half with COVID, is that there are businesses and a lot of our clients, you know, almost all of our clients, and, and I don't mean this to brag, just as a point of entry or a point of, you know, conversation, 1990 or 2019 was one of the best years that almost all of our clients had. Mm-hmm. 
2020 was even better. 2021 is on pace to be even better for most of them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because any, and I always say this this way, it wasn't because any of our clients ever made hand sanitizer or masks. It was because the leaders said, okay, we have a challenge. Mm-hmm. How are we going to grow through this versus let's sit around and wait for it to get better? Right. And so, you know, the questions that I think people need to ask, and they can ask me. I'm, I'm easy to find on social media. I mean, LinkedIn's probably the easiest place to find me, but they need to at least ask themselves is, how are we going to be ready for what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be, but there's going to be something like COVID again, maybe not a virus, maybe something else. But if you look at the history of society, you know, 2001 was a huge punch in the face for most people in 9-11. Mm-hmm. 2008 slash 2009, the financial collapse, another one in 2012. Mm-hmm. There's going to be something else. Don't know when, don't know what, but every one of those, there's businesses that came out way better and there's businesses that didn't make it. And mm-hmm. the difference is the mindset of the leader and the guidance and support they get to think about things differently. Yeah. They should be prepared, right? That's the, I mean, like you mentioned, it's going to happen eventually, being prepared, putting yourself and your team yeah. forward and first. And like you said, not doing things they've always you've always done just because it works doesn't mean it's going to work. And, you know, any we didn't effectively we didn't see covid coming i mean some of us may have looked at the news and saw what was kind of happening in 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 the middle east and europe and stuff like that but we didn't expect it to be you know you know a year long everyone thought it would be over in three weeks um but you're right it accelerated a lot of things um some for the better some for the worst but um there's so many lessons that we've talked about and my brain is being because I'm naturally curious is going of how I can improve parts of my business and the podcast or real estate whatever it is and I'm sure there's people listening that that are having the same thoughts Uh, for people listening though we I will post uh, the links to Sandler Training in the description and the links to Mike's LinkedIn as well so you can go check out ask some questions Um, feel free to reach out and if you can't uh, reach out to Mike reach out to me and I will get you in touch but Mike thanks so much for, for taking the time of your day to share some stories uh, learn a little bit more about yourself your journey and how you ended up in Oklahoma how you get from driving a truck working for DeWalt and traveling around to having a training business you know the the psych mind psychology minor sociology stuff that you did while doing your criminal justice degree you know it's amazing how that stuff finds itself through your story and now you use it every day right in training and sales and management operations stuff like that so um super fascinating really appreciate you um for sharing some stories and if anyone listening wants to get in touch and be a part of the uh, oklahoma sales association do reach out i'll post a link to that as well no doubt that you get plenty of value from the luncheons and uh and might you know even be spurred on to start a business if you've listened to this and you want to jump up jump you know jump into that world but uh for everyone listening i'll post the links i just mentioned in the description and we will catch you next episode cheers This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.